Welcome, everyone, to The Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone, the lead fantasy analyst at The Score. Appreciate you checking out the show today. Plenty to discuss with the preseason wrapped up, with cut down day behind us. Today, we're going to talk about the biggest risers and fallers after the last month, after training camp practices, after preseason action, as well as some of the surprises from cut down day. And we've brought in a heavy hitter for this one the director of content over at Fantasy Pros, the Fantasy Oracle himself, Matthew Friedman. You can find him on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. And I suggest you do because he's putting out lots of great content. He's always doing AMAs on Twitter. So if I ever can't answer your question, he is definitely the man to go to. But we're excited to finally have him back on. Matt, welcome to the show, buddy. How is life here? This is a weird week where we're making the switch from preseason to regular season mode. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. By the way, I will say, uh, if I'm a heavy hitter, I'm like the lightest of the heaviest hitters that you, <laughs> you've had on the show recently. Uh, you've had some great guests, uh, and so happy to be, uh, I guess, continuing this this streak of uh, heavy hitters. But it, it, you know, let's just let's not pretend. Let's not pretend. Well, All right, I, but. I appreciate that. This time of year, I definitely want to make sure I'm getting lots of great guests. This is when it starts to ramp up, right? Late July, August. Yeah. All the casual fantasy players come back. You want to make sure you're getting the the best possible analysis out there for everyone's drafts. Yeah, it's it's a weird week. I you know I used to like week four of the preseason because it, it I feel like we still had some football, but it gave us a little bit of a breather before we got into hardcore week one. And now I feel like it's like I feel like my body is like oh I need to be doing more things because it feels like it's week one, but it's not. <laughs> There's just like this emptiness there, and uh, I'm still trying to like get ahead, like the illusion of getting ahead for week one content. And so you know chipping away here or there, but man, I'm just ready for the season to start well we'll keep you busy for the next half hour or so here too (laughs) i want to get your thoughts on cut down day like i said we're definitely going to get to the biggest risers and fallers but i want to start with the 49ers deciding to keep jimmy garoppolo and it's a restructured deal he took far less money though there are some incentives in there where he could make it back if he plays there's also no trade clause so jimmy g would have to approve any deal which still could happen it's possible if a team there's a big injury to a contender that they could end up trading him away somewhere but mainly this is going to allow garoppolo to be a free agent after the season and then he'll be able to pick his new team at that point i think that's probably what enticed him into doing it for fantasy that could be interesting two quarterbacks super flex dynasty leagues maybe garoppolo could be a cheap trade target for teams that need a quarterback but The bigger impact here, what I want to talk to you about is what this means for Trey Lance. And I will clear the lane. I will let you weigh in on this, Matt. But tell me how Jimmy G sticking around in San Francisco changes your outlook for Trey Lance, if at all. Yeah, I've been super bullish on Trey Lance for all of draft season. Uh, I have an 80 to one ticket on him to win MVP. And I placed that like the week after the Super Bowl. So uh, I I guess I'll say like, uh, I'm, I'm so invested maybe to the point of being like, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is there. Who cares? Like (laughs) it, it probably should impact how I'm viewing Lance. And, you know, I've thought about it. I might move him down a spot in my, my quarterback rankings, but at his ADP an investment in Lance is more about his upside than his median outcome. And I don't think his upside is demanding diminished by Garoppolo's extended presence with the 49ers. But it does mean, I think, two things. So one, the odds of Lance hitting his upside are probably lower than I'd want. Like, that's why Garoppolo's there. The 49ers might feel that they need a backup plan in case Lance doesn't pan out. And that should probably give us a little pause. And then the second thing is that 
if Lance underwhelms, he won't have as long of an opportunity to work his way into the offense as he would have had otherwise because Garoppolo could be inserted into the starting role faster than the typical backup given that he knows the offense, he's experienced, and he's competent. So all of that said, Lance is still available so late in your typical friends and family drafts that the upside is what matters most for him. And if he works out, awesome. He has top six upside. If he doesn't, he's probably still not horrible because of his rushing ability. And you always have the option to drop him to pick up whoever, you know, maybe Justin Fields, Daniel Jones, Trevor Lawrence, whoever is there and performing better than we expected. It sounds like we're seeing this pretty similar right down. I don't have the ticket on Lance, but I definitely have been one of his biggest supporters this off season. So when I first saw this, I was kind of worried and I've thought it through a little more. I mean, is this just not a, a contending team that maybe didn't like their backup situation, didn't want to give up a, an asset, which they think Jimmy G is, and, and he is, he's got value for sure. They didn't want to give him up for nothing. So you keep him around as an insurance policy and, and a veteran guy, mainly in case an injury happens. And yeah. I know there's some stuff saying that Russian quarterbacks don't get hurt more often than pocket quarterback. It's still possible that Lance could get injured at some point here. And we could see him miss time. And then who did they really have behind him? Now you have Jimmy G there. I think going along with what you're saying that the concern about early in the season, what if Lance struggles a little bit and, you know, is the the rope a little shorter now and they want to quickly go to Jimmy Garoppolo because they're scared. If you look at their early season schedule, it's pretty favorable, right? Like they get the Bears and the Seahawks the first two weeks. So you figure yeah. Lance should get off to a pretty good start. They get the Panthers and the Falcons in week five and six. So those are all matchups that I think should be favorable for him. I know there's still a couple tough ones in there as well, but you figure that they're probably going to have a winning record after those first six weeks. So I'm still I'm still pretty excited about Lance here with the, that situation. We don't have to go over all the reasons that we're excited about him. Everybody knows that at yeah. this point. Yeah, I'm not I'm not panicking. And I think if people are panicking along lines of what you're saying, I would still go out and draft him. And if you can get any sort of discount because of this news. I would definitely go out and do it. Now, the Garoppolo news was, that was the big development to start the week. Then we had cut down day. There were a lot of moves that happened yesterday. Maybe not earth shattering kind of developments, but a lot of stuff that that tweaked things a little bit that made us go, you know, change our rankings and change some of our content as we're heading into the big draft weekend here. So we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. We've had some time to think on it and consider the ramifications. And we've seen some things happen today, like Sony Michelle, who got cut, ended up now signing with the Chargers. But did any of the moves on cut down day yesterday, did anything really stand out to you? Yeah, as I was looking at it, there were 10 items, which just sounds ridiculous because cut day, it's like you're thinking about guys who are you know at the bottom of the roster getting cut, and it's really not all that impactful, but 10 things did catch my eye, and so here they are. I'm going to try not to filibuster for the entire podcast here. Yeah, I'm going to grab a glass of water to sit back here. You go for it. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Uh, number one, the commanders kept Brian Robinson Jr. on the 53-man roster, and that's great news. I think that suggests that the team believes it's possible, Maybe likely that he returns to action this year, perhaps sooner than people would have anticipated based on the initial reports of multiple gunshot wounds. Uh, haven't placed him on IR, haven't placed him on the pup. So great news for him as a you know young rookie getting started in his career. That's the most important thing. Also great for football fans who would like to see him get on the field. The second thing, the Chiefs kept Ronald Jones. I think that says more about the other running backs, especially Isaiah Pacheco, than it says about Rojo. I think it means the team isn't really 
probably sold on the depth it has at running back and wanted that extra body there. Number three, Michael Gallup not being placed on IR or PUP. Uh, So that means the Cowboys almost certainly expect Gallup to be ready within the first month of the season. So that's great. This next one kind of surprised me. The Texans released Chris Conley, who... And he looked like the number three receiver on the team. He played like it in the preseason. I think that means the team is really confident in what it has in number two wide receiver Nico Collins and maybe also tied in Brevin Jordan, who was playing a lot of the first team snaps. The fifth item, the Broncos placed tight end Greg Dulcich on IR and they also cut tight end Eric Tomlinson. So they are pretty thin at tight end right now. And I'm just Kind of curious about what that means for Albert Okuwebunam. Uh, I was really bullish on him for a lot of draft season, and then I saw how he was used in the preseason. Uh, a rotational player, I became pessimistic, and now I'm just unsure because it looks like it's just him out there. So that's pretty intriguing. Number six, the Falcons released Anthony Ferkser. Like nothing was slowing down Kyle Pitts anyway, but the team releasing a veteran tight end who knows head coach Arthur Smith's system. I think that says a lot about the comfort that they have with Pitts and their confidence in him to be an every down player. Number seven, the Steelers cut Anthony McFarlane. I still think Benny Snell is the number two back, but uh, undrafted free agent rookie Jalen Warren, he did get some hype in camp in the preseason maybe he eventually beats out Snell for the handcuff role right now it looks like he's number three he could be number two number eight the Texans cut running back Marlon Mack you know we were bullish anyway on rookie running back Damian Pierce but this is just one less guy he needs to worry about stealing some of those rotational carries so this is very good for him and his investors number nine the Ravens signed Kenyon Drake which suggests they're pessimistic on J.K. Dobbins being ready for week one possibly beyond that and then number 10 this one surprised me. The Raiders waived offensive tackle or offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood. He was the number 17 pick just last year. Like this is a massive indictment by the new coaching staff on the talent evaluation and developmental process of the former regime, head coach John Gruden and general manager Mike Mayock. But I also want to say this feels extremely premature. Like he was a good player at Alabama, a lot of rookie struggle. I think cutting him also reflects negatively on the new regime of head coach Josh McDaniels. So those are all great ones. I think that was that was awesome that you went over it as thoroughly as you did there. I will update a couple of them. Uh, Leatherwood got picked up by the Bears, and we know their struggles on the offensive line. So hopefully that gives him a fresh start and he'll be able to actually catch on it and continue there. Uh, Marlon Mack ended up back with the Texans. I believe he's going to sign on their practice squad. So it'll still be lurking, I guess, but this definitely shows us that I don't think we have to be that worried about him. And also, I mean, what does that mean for these running backs with Achilles tears, right? Some people were pointing towards Marlon Mack and saying, well, look, he's coming back and he's going to be able to do stuff. And now it's been a couple of years for him and not a great sign that he's cut and getting put on a, a practice squad, obviously. And then for the, for the Texans also, um, they picked up Tyler Johnson, who dropped by the Bucks, and now he's with them. So maybe Tyler Johnson could sneak in there as the wide receiver three in their offense. So he'll have to compete with Chris Moore and Philip Dorsett, I believe, are his only competition there. So could end up being the, the third receiver in that offense. Those are all just interesting ones. I want to talk more about Kenyon Drake. You mentioned that one. I mean, 
that one kind of happened before the the real main deadline cuts, yeah. right? Like he got released a little earlier and then the Ravens signed him. That kind of kicked off the day. I think I woke up to that news yesterday. Now with J.K. Dobbins, this is really interesting because there was so much optimism. They were so excited when he was coming back to practice. And then more recently, John Harbaugh seems like he's walking that back a little bit. Like maybe Dobbins might not be ready for week one or maybe be he might be pretty limited if he is even out there in week one. It's just a tone shift from those early days when he first got back to practice. And you remember during that time, Ian Rappaport had something that was kind of <laughs> yeah. negative suggesting and Dobbins went right at him. And, I'll be out there, right? He wasn't worried at all. Well, now Rappaport's doubling down and saying that there's a lot of doubt around Dobbins being available for the opener. And it's not surprising. It's a guy who tore his ACL last year around this time. His teammate, Gus Edwards, who had a similar injury, he's on the pup list right now. Matt, so with the latest, let's get into this one just a little bit more because I think this one could be interesting for fantasy or maybe more interesting than some of the other ones that are, you know, bottom of the barrel stuff like you mentioned from cut down day where it's guys at the end of the roster. With this one, I'm curious your thoughts on this and what this could mean for having Kenyon Drake and Mike Davis there, guys who have done it before. I know Mike Davis really let us down last season when we thought he was going to get the volume in Atlanta and be able to produce for fantasy, and he didn't. But... These guys are in the Ravens offense. We know that rushing attack is really strong. Lamar's healthy. And Dobbins, who knows if he's going to be himself when he comes back or when he's actually going to be available. So how are you approaching that Ravens backfield right now? Yeah, I think my answer is going to be as disappointing as the performance that we will see out of Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I have severe disinterest that also transforms into something like obsession when it comes to these guys. Like I think it's highly similar to uh, last year, right? They had the the band of backs, you know, Latavius Murray and Devontae Freeman. I think it's going to be pretty similar uh, to how that played out. Um, you know, trying to predict the roles that these guys play. Uh, whether you know they're in a run-heavy game state, you know because they're they're favored and leading, that's going to be uh, something that I think people really try to focus on. But you know, Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake, however it is that it plays out in terms of who is the lead back and who's more of the the supplemental change of pace, I don't know if it really matters. Like they're uninspiring. Uh, I think when they're heavily favored, one of those guys is going to go off. I think it will be hard to predict which guy, uh, but really that might only last for one to three weeks anyway, because I do think J.K. Dobbins is going to come back, uh, you know, I'd say week two, week three. Uh, and I imagine once he's back, he is the clear lead back. But one of those guys, then Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake, will probably play the Gus Edwards role until Edwards himself returns. So I don't know. Davis, Drake, they'll be fantasy relevant, but annoying. And yet only for a few weeks. Yeah. You might have to be pretty desperate to start them early in the season. That is like a, the ultimate zero RB build. If you're going to have yes. to go with one of those guys at the yeah. start of the year. <laughs> All right. We've been holding it off long enough. People saw the title of this episode. They want the risers and fallers from the preseason. So let's give it to them here. We'll go back and forth. We'll just throw out some names. We will start with the positives and the risers. Uh, who's somebody that you feel got a nice boost in their value over the last month in your mind? Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, you know, there was a lot of um, a lot of interest in Jamison Crowder earlier in the process because it was just sort of assumed that he would be the slot receiver for the Buffalo Bills. But Isaiah McKenzie, over the past couple of years, and whenever he's been in a situation to play, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the snaps for the Bills, 
he's been a pretty intriguing player. And granted, some of that has come in situations where he was the only guy out there. So that's not going to be the case. We shouldn't expect him to crush every time just because he's on the field now for the super majority of snaps. But it looks now like he's pretty defiantly the slot receiver for the team. And McKenzie, you know, with the skill that he has and the the two weapons that he has around him uh, with Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis on the perimeter taking coverage away from him and also Dawson Knox, like McKenzie could be a really, uh, a really sneaky guy who ends up massively outperforming his ADP, you know, like, and his ADP has risen, but I don't think it has risen nearly far enough. Yeah, I agree. And I, I see that you're trying to suck up to me here as I'm a, a Bills fan. So you're trying to go. I, I didn't, I didn't even know. I didn't even know. It's just good luck. Well, the, the one thing, too, that I don't think people talk about enough with McKenzie, and we saw it in the preseason, is he subs in on the outside as well. So yeah. if we see Gabe Davis or Stefan Diggs go down, McKenzie could end up on the outside and then Crowder will come into the slot. That would be the next setup for them. So that's another way that he could put up some great stats if we see an injury to one of the other guys, which obviously we do not want to see. But if it were to happen, McKenzie's value would shoot up even more. So yeah, I, I'm with you as well. I, I had sort of three main ones that I want to talk about here. And then I had a list of a bunch of other guys and McKenzie was definitely on that list. So I'm glad that you brought him up. My first one, I'm going to cheat a little and say two players here. It's Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. So part of this, definitely the fact that Sony Michelle is gone. And now, like I mentioned, he's off with the chargers. So that takes away in my mind, the risk of this turning into a, a three headed committee. But I've been on Edmonds all offseason long. He was in my sleeper column. Then I felt like he sort of graduated and I thought he was too good for the sleeper column. So I moved him into my breakouts column when I updated everything. And people can check that out. A bunch of reasons in there why I liked him before the preseason. But a couple of them were that he got the, the biggest contract by far in that backfield. The beat writers were all talking him up in offseason practices saying he was the clear lead back. And he has the pass catching profile that the other guys in that backfield really didn't have. And then when it came to the second week of the preseason and he finally got out there, he was dominating touches. And then a week later, Edmonds sits out, Mostert comes in, and I wasn't really sure if Mostert was going to be ready for week one or not. He comes back, he looks great, had a really nice 26-yard run where we got to see the speed on the outside. It shows that he can be a really nice change of pace complement, maybe even end up as the starter if something happened to Edmonds. Now, the problem with that is we know the durability questions with Mostert, even if he is the starter, it would not last for very long, but could definitely give you some good production in this offense. So I really like Edmonds. His ADP is starting to move up. So that's nice to see, not for us drafting, but at least that people are recognizing the value there. He's up to RB26. I have him at RB21. Mostert's going around RB53. I have him at RB43. And I still have the doubts about the durability there, but outside of the top 100 picks, I mean, I will take that chance all day long. So for me, Miami's backfield is on the rise. I don't know how you feel about that one. Yeah, I need to move Edmonds up. I was skeptical about him earlier in the process, uh, you know, in part because of Sony Michelle, Raheem Mostert, you know, questions about the offensive line. Uh, but given the usage in the preseason and then the fact that the team parted ways with Sony Michelle, uh, yeah it's absolutely looking like he is the lead back there. All right. Who's your next one on your list? All right. This is kind of disgusting. I would like to get your, your thoughts on this. Uh Oh, um, and every time I don't get him in a draft, I like, I audibly make a noise, you know, uh, it's Julio <laughs> Jones it, and it's, it's so wrong. It is so wrong for me still to, uh, to like this guy, but man, I think he is probably still good. 
Uh, I think he's just a little more fragile than he used to be. But over the past two years, he still had 10.4 yards per target. That is an elite mark. Uh, you know, up there with the guys who are the best in the league at the position. You know, up there with Debo Samuel, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and then Julio Jones. He is right there over the past two years with 10.4 yards per target. And normally when we see a guy, you know, a bigger bodied guy like Julio start to slow down, uh, you see it reflected in his efficiency. But Julio has still been efficient when he's been healthy. The main question is, can he stay healthy? Now, I don't know. I don't know. But for Julio to crush his ADP, only one thing needs to happen, and it's Julio Jones stay healthy. But he's the number three receiver in an offense that has great weapons around him. So he's going to have the softest coverage that he has ever had in his career. And with Tom Brady, he has the best quarterback he's ever had in his career. And I think he's going to be in not playing the exact Antonio Brown role, but used in a similar way where he doesn't need to be on the field for 80% of the snaps anymore. And so I think that will help keep him healthier. He can rotate in and be on the field for 60, 65% of the snaps. But when he's on the field, he will be used in this Uber pass catching specialist kind of role. And so I think he's still going to have targets flowing his direction. Over the past two years, in the 13 games that he has played with at least a 50% snap rate, he's had over 1,000 yards. So the main question, does he stay healthy? Is he on the field? At his ADP, I think you can afford to take a shot on a guy who is a Hall of Famer and in, I would say, objectively one of the best situations of his career. Yeah, there's not a lot of risk in that range. I think people forget like just how much this offense throws the ball. Like last year, you're thinking, you know, Gronk was there, Antonio Brown was there, in addition to Godwin and Mike Evans, and they were all fantasy viable. So it is definitely possible that Julio could put up some big stats. I think the really interesting thing could be he could finally have a big touchdown season. Like he yes. could kind of he could kind of end up getting used that way. They could really put up a double digit touchdown season for him, which is something we know in Atlanta he wasn't really known for his touchdown scoring by any means. I think the play for me with Julio though would be draft him, use him early in the season if he comes out hot you trade him after the first few weeks yeah. when Godwin's <laughs> going to come back and when the injuries could eventually strike and just yeah. try to cash in on the the perfect thing of the name and the early season production. People will get really excited and you might be able to get something more for him or package him with some, someone. So that would probably be my approach, but I, I like the call there. I'm going to go a little younger with my next one. Uh, Christian Kirk on the Jaguars. And he falls into a category of players that I've kind of been targeting the last few seasons. Guys where... The public perception is negative, but it really has nothing to do with fantasy. And with Kirk, people freaked out that he didn't deserve that big contract he got in free agency. He's not a $20 million guy. For fantasy, who cares? We're not worried about that. All that negative hype that was around him, who cares about that? Just tell me what he's going to do for fantasy. And it, really what it tells me is that they're going to have all the incentive in the world to feature him in that offense. And when he played in the preseason... That's exactly what they did. Five catches, 54 yards on eight targets, ran routes in 80% of the pass plays, and that's a 33% target share he had. Now, incredibly small sample size, preseason, obviously, but it's a good sign that he is going to get a lot of work in this offense. Not 33% target share, but a lot of work that I would imagine. 
they're going to force the ball his way because what is he contending with? I know a lot of people still like Marvin Jones, but it's an older Marvin Jones we're talking about. A guy who definitely could get hurt as well. Zay Jones is a pedestrian talent in my mind. He'll have some games, but I think he'll be a better real life player in that offense than he will be for fantasy. And we don't know what we're getting at tight end with Evan Ingram. So Travis Etienne could be the only other big time contributor in that passing attack in my mind. Either way, I think Kirk is a nice value in the seventh, eighth round. Somebody could give you a wide receiver three numbers with wide receiver two upside. Somebody that I've grabbed more than I expected to, to be honest. One of those guys that when you start drafting, I started to get a lot more of and I had to look a little closer and go, okay, there's a reason why I'm a little higher on him than I thought. And that those are a lot of the reasons why. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I was lower on Christian Kirk entering the season uh, in part because, you know, a little bit skeptical about what that offense was going to look like, a little bit skeptical about him. And then, you know, there were a lot of bodies uh, around him, like other wide receivers who, you know, potentially could have uh, worked their way into a rotation and stolen targets, uh, you know, Laquan Treadwell, LaVisca Chenault. Uh, you know, Treadwell was actually one of the better receivers for that team at the end of the season. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, second rounder, you know, so like those guys are now gone. Uh, and it's not as if they were really a big threat to Christian Kirk, but it just solidifies the fact that he is not going to be working in a rotation with other wide receivers. He's going to be the guy out there. And as you you know mentioned, 80% routes. Uh, man, eight targets, eight targets on limited usage. And yeah, it's it's a small sample, but it's a very encouraging sample for the way he's going to function in that offense. So he is someone I have bumped up my rankings pretty aggressively given how he was used. All right. There's still a couple pretty obvious names. I'm curious to see if you're going to say any of them. If you don't, I'm going to pick them up at the end here. But who you got for your third riser? No, I'm I'm not going obvious. I'm going off the radar. Uh, it's and again another disgusting names like Julio Jones, um, <laughs> Cordero Patterson. I I can't believe I am saying Cordero Patterson, but it's the it's the way in which he has been used or you know not used in the preseason that I think really speaks to the potential that he has. So you know obviously last year his first year as a full time running back as a starter you know, had 150-ish carries, uh, I think 69 targets. Uh, and I think he could have similar usage this year. And, you know, we saw what he was able to do with it last year, you know, 1,100 yards, uh, you know, I think double-digit touchdowns. He was a very solid producer. Uh, it wasn't always smooth, the way in which he had his production and he did fall off at the end last year. But I think that had more to do with an injury than with like, Oh, he can't handle the workload. Uh, Patterson had one snap in week one of the preseason, the first snap of the game. And then they put him on the sideline. Uh, the second, the second week had one snap in the game on the first drive. And then they put him on the sideline. Like they are signaling that he is the clear starter and they do not want to overuse him in the preseason. And I know that uh, rookie Tyler Algier had a lot of hype in preseason. There were people who really liked him throughout the NFL draft process, but he went in the fifth round. And right now it looks like he's playing behind Damian Williams. And so if it's Damian Williams and Tyler Algier is the number three back who are competing with Cordero Patterson, I think Patterson, maybe at some point he loses significant touches to those guys, but at least at the beginning of the season, I think he holds them off and gets pretty significant usage. And people are just acting as if he has no chance to be the lead back there. And I think that has created tremendous value. Yeah. Another guy that goes like way outside the top hundred picks and can easily give you RB2 production early in the season. That's what he was doing last year. Somebody who, if he only gives you RB2 production for the first 
six, eight, ten weeks. I'll take that, and then yeah. I'll figure it out in the second half of the season for where you're getting him in drafts. And going along the lines of what you're saying about the rest, it actually started in OTAs. They yeah. held him out of OTAs, and it wasn't that he was hurt. They were just saying he is on his own regiment to get ready for the season, and we are trying to keep him as healthy as possible. Like They kind of told us. They showed us their hand back then, so... I love that call. I took him as my RB2 in Scott Fishbolt. Now, I got Damian Pierce a little later, so I guess technically Damian Pierce is probably my RB2 now, but uh, I took him in a draft uh, just the other night, actually, where Cordell Patterson is going to be my RB2 to start the year. So I love that call. I got to take some of the low-hanging fruit just to clean it up here. (laughs) Damian Pierce, who I just mentioned, so obvious at this point, but just looked incredibly explosive was producing 86 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. You mentioned the Marlon Mack thing. It's looking like Damian Pierce. I said earlier in the week that uh, top 30 back, when I did my update to my rankings yesterday, I put him as the RB25, so really like him right now. Don't love the situation where it could be on a team that's trailing a lot and early in the season might not be really involved in the passing game, but the way he looked in the preseason, he is a guy that you definitely want on your roster. A couple other names here. I mean, George Pickens, another one that is just so obvious. It feels the hype started so long ago with George Pickens that it feels like he's been a household name forever. And the guy hasn't even played an NFL game yet. But one of those situations where everybody is saying it, everybody, every highlight, it's not just one game or one practice or one quote. Everyone, even including his teammates, the other receivers on the team, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, they're calling him a freak. So I think he's a guy that looking at him in the eighth, ninth round might not get the target share this season to really be a star for fantasy, but it's within his range of outcomes. He could come out this year and be that guy in that range. I'm willing to take him as my wide receiver three or four and see if he can do it. John Dotson, and this is one that last week's show, the late round targets, our favorite late round targets. I talked about Dotson a bunch. I think he was even the picture on the episode. So don't have to go into it it too much. But basically, similar to George Pickens, a lot of hype around him. But he he has first round draft capital. They're talking up the connection that he has with Carson Wentz. I don't get why he is going so much later. You can get him as ADPs in like the 11th or 12th round right now. It's starting to move up a bit, but still well outside the top 50 wide receivers. And a guy that... Would it shock anyone if his numbers were kind of close to Terry McLaurin this year? Like, not that he's going to be a top 20 guy, but maybe McLaurin comes back a little bit and Dotson takes a a bigger part of that offense on. So uh, he's somebody as well. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, I've talked about this one before that obviously he looked great in the the preseason, a lot of practice hype around him as well, kind of just kept producing whenever he got a chance on the field. And Aaron Rodgers saying that, They're going to hold him to a different level than most rookies based on how he's produced so far. That's a great thing. I just have always cautioned that it seems like that offense is going to spread the ball around a little more this year. So that's why I'm not, you know, incredibly high on an Alan Lazard or incredibly high on a Dobbs. I'll take shots on them for sure, but I don't know that anyone's going to have consistent, you know, number one type receiver stats, not for fantasy, but in real life. It might be a situation where a lot of guys are getting worked in and that would fit with what Aaron Rodgers would be really good at, which is just keep throwing it to the open guy. You don't have to focus on a Devontae Adams. It just so happened that Devontae Adams was outstanding and was normally the open guy in the past. And then I said before that I had sort of an extra list, kind of honorable mentions. I'll just throw some of those out quick. Uh, Justin Fields, that third preseason game, that might have been the best version of him that we've seen so far. Gives me a little hope that he could lift that offense up. 
maybe on his own, but also with the help of that new coaching staff. We can't underrate how much that new coaching staff could help things there. Jared Goff, I think we're seeing that he is just surrounded by so much talent and not somebody that's going to step up and be a top 12 fantasy quarterback, but a guy that I think is going to vastly outproduce where he's going in drafts based on everything around him. The skill position players and the offensive line, which is phenomenal. Top three offensive line in my offensive line rankings this year. Paris Campbell, I'm dying on this hill. I don't care. He's healthy entering the year. We know the talent's there. They're talking up the connection with Matt Ryan. Could this be the year he finally stays healthy and puts up some stats? And then really deep, more of a a waiver wire guy during the season probably, but Ty Conklin with the Jets, their tight end. It's been a lot of talk about him showing up, getting a lot of targets, especially around the red zone. So it's a lot of mouths to feed in that Jets offense. We don't totally know about the quarterback situation yet, but He's somebody that I would keep an eye out for. If you grab a tight end late and it doesn't really work out, Conklin might end up being somebody you could get off the waiver wire early in the season and could step up into your lineup or at least give you some some bi-week fill-in type weeks for you. Yeah, those names, uh, I love them all. You mentioned Pickens. Drake London is another guy, rookie, yep. uh, you know, uh, good athlete, great size, elite draft capital. He stands out to me uh, in that Pickens territory because he could have a lot of targets coming his way. Uh, you mentioned Dotson. Absolutely love that. He's a guy I've been targeting in drafts. Uh, Dobbs, you mentioned and, you know, talked about, uh, you know, not not pessimism, but, you know, just being a little cautious about him. And I will pivot and say, that there are two starters, like these guys are unquestioned starters for Aaron Rodgers who are going so late in drafts. And you know who I'm talking about, like (laughs) Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. And I can't believe that I'm saying their names, but they didn't play at all in the preseason. Like we know that they are starters in week one. And both of them have had uh, success. Uh, I mean, maybe that was like eight years ago when, when they had success, you know, but they've had success in the NFL and they're going to be out there running routes for Aaron Rodgers and he's going to throw the ball to someone. So uh, given that they are free in drafts, they are interesting. Uh, Justin Fields, he's the guy that I'm targeting if I don't get Trey Lance and then Conklin absolutely love that if you're in uh, a best ball format and you need multiple tight ends or if you just absolutely miss out on tight ends. Conklin is someone who is intriguing for sure. Yeah, and that's where I've grabbed Conklin quite a bit as my tight end two or tight end three in a lot of those best ball formats. All right, we got to go to the negative side. I hate doing this. I love talking about the positives, but there's definitely some players who disappointed, whose stocks headed in the wrong direction after the last month here. So I'll let you go first again. Uh, who tops that list for you? Yeah, uh, Antonio Gibson uh, is a guy who really stands out. And, you know, with the the situation with Brian Robinson Jr., you know, Antonio Gibson uh, sure looks like he's going to kind of reprise some of the role that he had last year. But I do think Robinson comes back sooner than we would have anticipated. And at that point, I think Gibson turns into more of a rotational back. Uh, the fact that they even drafted Brian Robinson to begin with, I think, is an indictment on Antonio Gibson. And the way in which they you know, hyped him up in the preseason uh, and then used him in the preseason, I think indicates that Antonio Gibson uh, is not going to be a lead back. Uh, I wouldn't say ever in the NFL, but like this season or like with this coaching staff, that is just not the role that he is ticketed for. Uh, and so with Robinson eventually returning or just however it is that this coaching staff seems to feel about Antonio Gibson, because they were using him on special teams, using him as a return man, like... 
these are not the kinds of things that you do if you value a running back. Uh, and so Gibson, even though in the short term, I think he gets a boost because Robinson won't be on the field. Uh, over the course of the season, I think we see a guy who really underperforms his potential and his talent because I think he has that, but uh, underperforms what we saw out of him last year. All right, I'm going to say something that might sound a, a little bit crazy, but I'm with you that I think Antonio Gibson stats will go up in the short term for sure. But I also would not be surprised if this continues to be a three-man committee, even until Brian Robinson comes back. If Jonathan Williams, the Mm -hmm. other back that they kept there, if Jonathan Williams ends up involved, or maybe they'll pick up somebody else after waiver cuts here, maybe they'll pick up somebody else this week and bring them in to get involved. I would not be shocked if they still have someone out there, you know, just because the concerns that they've had, the the fumbling issues, are they really going to play Gibson in those roles that they're that worried about around the goal line? Some of those high value touches there. I think there's going to be somebody else involved, or I think McKissick's going to get a lot more work than people expect. And it might be a real 50-50 split or something um, early in the year until Brian Robinson comes back. And hopefully we do see Brian Robinson at some point this season. Like you said earlier, it seems like we will. We don't know when that might be. But hopefully we get him back sooner rather than later. Uh, for mine, kind of like uh, Antonio Gibson here, I'm going to say Miles Sanders. So another running back that is kind of disappointing us quite a bit. Another guy who had a lot of struggles in training camp. He struggled with pass catching. Just doesn't seem to be an area where the team is confident in him at all. And then he gets hurt, misses a couple weeks now with this hamstring injury. He's still out. They're saying there's some optimism that he could be back for week one, but we know hamstring injuries can be really tricky. I would be very concerned here. Kenny Gainwell has a role in that offense. He had six games last year where he had at least 40 yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. If you include the playoff game, which he did it in as well. Boston Scott still around. There's been rumors that the Eagles could be in the market for a running back, either a veteran that they sign or somebody in a trade maybe. And this is an offense that we project to be really, really dangerous They are not going to be satisfied if Sanders can't hold up his end. Howie Roseman, a very aggressive GM. He just traded for secondary help, went out and got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. You can be sure he is going to be quick to make a move if Sanders can't hack it. And even if they do stick with Sanders, this has the looks of a committee and that's going to cap his upside. So I've moved him outside of my top 30 backs. He was somebody that, especially in best balls and stuff, I was taking because I thought he was going at a bit of a value earlier in the offseason. And as the offseason has gone along and I've looked at it more, I've changed my tune on that one. And he's somebody that I just find myself going in other directions in the range he's getting drafted in. Yeah, absolutely. You said outside the top 30. I have him at 31 right now in my rankings. You know, like Damian Pierce. I have Pierce ahead of Sanders. You know, like I wouldn't have anticipated that a month ago. Yeah, at all. At all. All right. Who's your second one here? We'll keep moving along. We're going a little bit long, but we'll try to get through a couple more quick. All right, mine's a little more of a combo. The two rookies for the Jets, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson. Both of those guys a month ago, I would have just assumed like, yeah, Brees Hall, obvious starter, Garrett Wilson will be out there in three wide receiver sets. That's not really what we saw at all in terms of how they were used in the preseason. Brees Hall was playing behind Michael Carter and Garrett Wilson was playing behind even Braxton Berrios. Like he was the number four receiver on that team. And I'm sure at some point those two guys end up earning their roles and get more snaps. But for the first part of the season, I'm going to be pretty skeptical about uh, using those guys in any fantasy lineups. Yeah, I definitely am a little bit worried about them early in the season. I think the move with uh, Wilson, Wilson has the is the perfect example for me of a guy that people are going to draft and redraft. You can still get him at a, a half decent value. They're going to get him late. 
he's not going to do much early in the season and they're going to drop him. And after the first month or so, you go get him off the waiver wire. In the second half of the year, the jet schedule is a little bit better too. And maybe he'll do something then. Maybe he'll come on. Because I think the talent is definitely there for him. And it might be something similar. I don't think anybody's going to drop Brees Hall. But it might be something similar for Hall where as the year goes along, we see him take on more. And in the second half of the season, maybe he makes more of an impact then. Uh, My second one here for the Fallers is Cam Akers. And I can wrap this one up probably really quick too. I I already had him in my bus column in the offseason just because the Achilles injury and the fact he's only a year removed from it. Shows up to camp, gets hurt, been out with this soft tissue injury. It's cost him several weeks now. He is back practicing this week, but it's hard to feel good about his outlook. Sean McVay talking up the other options in this backfield. Daryl Henderson, who showed that he can produce when given the chance last year. Even the rookie, Kyron Williams, who missed some time with a foot injury during the offseason, came back. Looks like he could be a factor in the passing game. So, The Rams might realize that Akers isn't the same version of himself that we saw before the Achilles tear. And I always, I always want to tell people that we have to remember Cam Akers was not a proven star before this injury happened. He was a rookie that had a pretty good end to his rookie season and that was it. And we were projecting him to be a really good player and then he got hurt. So it isn't like this is a guy like an Adrian Peterson or someone who's been a star for years and you figure maybe he could come back and be 80, 90% of that. We really don't know what Cam Akers could be. And if he doesn't get anywhere near the version of himself that he was before the injury, this could turn into a a committee in this backfield. Maybe not even just a two-man committee, could be a three-man committee, would be a big change from what they've done in the past in that Rams offense, but it might be a necessary one. Either way, I'm, I'm low on Akers and I haven't been drafting him anywhere. Yeah, with you 100% for all of the concerns that you outlined. All right, you got one more you want to throw out? We'll try to go through it quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hate to uh, go against your your Bills fandom, but James <laughs> Cook, James <laughs> Cook, uh, you know, drafted in the second round, fantastic skill set. I thought he was going to come in and be not like Alvin Kamara for them, but, you know, like to be a very solid rotational pass catching back and maybe uh, eventually work his way into the lead role. But uh, Devin Singletary doesn't seem as if he's going gently into that good night. And then, the you know, the ghost of Zach Moss has been revived and now he's actually getting some playing time. And so the enthusiasm that I had for James Cook, uh, it has been abated. Like I've, I've dropped him down the rankings. I still think in the second half of the season, maybe we see him start to emerge within that backfield. But uh, for the first half of the season, uh, I'm not looking to start him. Yeah, I think he's going to be a better real life addition than a fantasy player for us. I think I'm, my concerns are that I just don't know how well he's going to do between the tackles. So that kind of limits he's going to have to just be that pass catching guy. And like you said, Singletary's not going anywhere. So I just don't know if there's going to be enough in the offense for him to be a, a big time fantasy contributor this season. So I'm with you. I actually also moved him down during the preseason. I kind of thought the opposite would happen and he'd come out and have several highlight plays and his ADP would start skyrocketing, but we just didn't see that from him. Yeah. I'll throw out a couple more quick here. Uh, Kenny Galladay and, and Kadarius Tony. I was really hyped for the Brian Dable era in New York and I still am, but I thought that it was going to translate to these guys for sure. And Galladay just looks like absolute dust. Even when you see him in practice, it just doesn't seem like he wants to be out there. I'm not expecting much from him this season. Kadarius Tony's been hurt. And that's just a continuation of what we saw from him last year, that he just missed a ton of time. When he's out there, it's very exciting. And he moves maybe different than any other player in the league. 
But if he's going to continue to be hurt all the time, we just haven't seen enough from him to feel confident. So I've been moving him down my rankings a little bit. And I've been moving up Wandell Robinson, who wouldn't shock me at all if he ends up leading this receiving core in in targets this year. And even Sterling Shepard, who's coming back from the Achilles, is back at practice. Sterling Shepard could factor in more here if Galladay can't do much and if Tony continues to be out. So those are a couple guys that I've moved down a bit and just sort of overall concern that Daniel Jones isn't showing the kind of progress that you would hope with this new coaching staff. Maybe it'll take him a little while. Maybe he's just not the guy. So not as in on that Giants passing game as I was before. Uh, Josh Jacobs, who have been one of his biggest supporters the last couple of years, and he came through top 14 fantasy back each of the last two seasons. But now with Josh McDaniel there, some of the weirdness that we saw in the preseason and some of the talk from that coaching staff that they're going to use a committee and you have Amir Abdullah playing passing downs and you have the rookies Amir White stealing some early down work. I'm out on Jacobs this year. A Russell Gage, partially for some of the reasons you talked about with Julio Jones. You have Chris Godwin looking healthier sooner than maybe we expected. And now Julio there. Russell Gage definitely taking a big tumble down my rankings. And Isaiah Spiller, maybe the most obvious one, gets outplayed by Josh Kelly. And then they go out and sign Sony Michelle. That tells you everything you need to know about Spiller. So he's somebody that in my next update will end up moving down even further. There's a reason they went out and got Sony. They obviously weren't excited about what they saw from Spiller or his injuries worse, but either way, either way, he is not going to make the impact that maybe I originally thought that he would in his rookie season. Anybody else that you have that you want to mention before we get out of here? No, I, th- I think you hit him and I'll echo Spiller. I mean, that was that was heartbreaking because he was someone <laughs> entering the, the draft process uh, who I was enthusiastic about, and it just feels like it's gotten worse and worse each month for him. It could still happen. He could have a long career here, but right now, this year, redraft-wise, it's going to take a few injuries before he can get out there and get that opportunity. But that is all for today's show. Make sure you're following Mr. Freeman on Twitter at Matt F. The Oracle. Make sure you're checking out all his work over at Fantasy Pros. It was well overdue having you back on, man. You are one of the most insightful minds in the industry. I know you wanted to play it down earlier that you're not one of the, the most heavy hitters. I definitely think you are, so I'm not going to allow you to play it down at all. Uh, keep putting yourself out there. I love how you're doing it with the AMAs and the Discord stuff, and you're overseeing a great group over at Fantasy Pros these days. So uh, thank you for taking some time to, to spend with us here. Good luck this season, man. And it feels like we're on top of that roller coaster right now. So make sure this is your last chance to catch your breath before we go barreling <laughs> <Yeah>. into week one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, the work that you do at the score is fantastic with your rankings and the podcast, one of the podcasts I listen to every week. So keep on crushing and have a great season, man. I appreciate it, dude. As for us over at the score, score fantasy football draft kit is up to date. I publish fresh rankings, tiers, salary cap values, all that stuff's gone up over the last 24 hours. I'll do another sweep tonight after all the waiver claims go through from cutdown day. Currently working on an update to the Dynasty Trade Value Charts. That should go up Thursday. Might already be up, depending when you're listening to this. And then I'll be back on Friday with one last summer episode here before we make the switch over to the in-season content. So until then, big thanks again to Matt. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we'll see you next time. Said leave on time, my baby said leave on time. Leave on time with me tonight I said leave on time